Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Hey, there's a lot going on in our world. Anybody, uh, if you're even half awake, there's a lot going on in our world. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm 65. And I've never seen our world like this in my lifetime. And I, I've talked to you before about the fact that uh, when truth is driving the car of our life, when truth is driving and fueling our worldview, when truth is what we live after, life goes best. Because Jesus even said, you'll know the truth and truth will set you free. When truth takes a back seat, and feeling drives the car, we are doomed to go off the cliff. I don't, I don't want to live by truth. I want to live by, by how I feel about what you said. And I've said this before, so I know I'm repeating myself. One plus one is two. But if you feel it's 2.87, that doesn't change the truth, does it? Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the truth. Go beat your neighbor up because you feel like it. Not the truth, right? I'm going to say this because I need to. This This is for me. If it matters to you, I hope it does. If it matters to you watching online, I hope it does. All life is precious, God made, God breathed from inception to the last breath of life. And if in our state somebody says, you can abort a child and you can even take the child's life after it's been born without being criminalized, we have a problem. And you can do your research. There is a bill now before the state that says after the child has been born, the mother and father have the right to take the child's life. Who on earth would write such a bill? Now, I don't ever wax political. It's not ever been my stance, and I'm not waxing political. I'm just telling you what the truth is because everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made, and nothing changes that. And we know enough people We know enough people who would adopt children and care for children. So no child, and I understand about crisis pregnancies, and I understand some of you in this church, God bless you, you've gone through the the difficulty of abortion in your life, and you are loved here because we are pro-life, listen, in every area of life, how we treat each other, how we treat others who disagree with us, We still extend grace and mercy. That's pro-life. So I just wanted to say that today, and I also wanted to say that there's so many different viewpoints going around out there, and I won't tell you how many emails and text messages I got this week asking me, would you tell people to boycott a certain company? Would you tell people? No, I don't. But I will tell you, do your research, and remember this, man. Live by the truth, not by what you feel about the truth. And follow after God and his ways. Let the Bible be your plumb line and your level in life. And remember this, God has called you and me to be light in a dark world 
and salt in a tasteless world. That's who we are. And there's a lot of tasteless things going on right now in our world, even in our own community. And I say, God, use your church, the body of Christ, not to just sit and hear sermons, though you're going to hear one, but have us be infiltrators, making a difference in the world, sharing our faith with other people, loving people who disagree uh, with us and who don't like us, but still loving them, but never backing down from what we know to be truth. Is that okay? That's my preamble of the sermon. And I guess we could just go home. No, 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 no. I have, I have more, to, more to say. And the more to say starts with a story about a young man. And the reason I want to share this story is because Pastor John did a great job last week talking about Jesus being baptized and God saying, you're my beloved son and whom I am, well pleased. And then the devil does what? He tempts him at his point of identity. If you are the son of God. So he has a face-to-face encounter with the devil himself. And what does Jesus do after After he puts a devil in his place, I don't live by what you say. I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, I live my life by the truth of God, not by what you say. Liar, liar, pants on fire, you devil, right? I live by the truth of God. And then Jesus starts moving out and he calls his disciples. And it makes me think of this story of a guy named Derek Brodus about 10 years ago. There he is. There's one picture. We got another one of him. There he is. Anybody know what team that is? The Tennessee Volunteers. Well, Derek Brodus is laying on a couch with a bag of Doritos on his belly watching the pregame at 6.15 p.m. because kickoff is 7 p.m. Now, Derek is a freshman. He was a walk-on kicker who did not make the team. But at 6.16, Coach Dooley called him. Is this Derek? Yes, it is. It's Coach Dooley. Yeah, right, he said. He says, no, our, our backup kicker pulled a muscle in practice and warm-up, and our main kicker hurt himself on Thursday. I don't have any more kickers. The police department's coming to get you in two squad cars right now. They're going to escort you code three to the stadium because we need you. The game starts in 44 minutes. Yeah, right, he says. And he looks out the window, and all of a sudden, he sees blue and red flashing lights. And two cops running up to the door of the dormitory, banging on the door. You, you Derek Brown is yet? Get in the car. Woo, to the stadium. He gets a jersey. Remember, he didn't make the team. So it's a jersey with someone else's name on the back. And he's called upon. Coach Julie looks at him. He says, kick the field goal, buddy. And Derek Brodus kicked the winning field goal, three points, and was given the game ball. Think about that. He still tells the story today, some 10 years later, about the night that the coach called him. Now, what does that have to do with you? Well, Brodus rose to the occasion when the coach called his name. What do you do when the king of kings calls your name? What do you do when you hear, come and and follow me? I I take you to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1. 
verse 15. If you want to go somewhere in your Bible, how about Mark chapter 1? That's a good place to go. And it says this about Jesus. The, the, the time had come. You see, Jesus spent, spent 30 years on the planet, and now it was time to reveal something about himself. And here's what he revealed. The kingdom of God has come near. In other words, I've brought the kingdom of God to this earth because things on this earth aren't going so well. Things right now with humanity, Jesus was saying, isn't going so well. A new king has come to town, kind of like a new sheriff's come to town. A new king. Repent and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, who did he see? Simon and his brother casting a net into the lake because they were, yeah. And here's what he says to them. Come follow me. That's a short summons. That's a short sermon, isn't it? Come follow me. By the way, he asked them to follow him before they believed in him. That's why I love it when people who don't know Christ yet start hanging around at LFC or come serve with us or come even to the cleanup day. Hey, by the way, you can bring anybody to cleanup day with you. We're having a cleanup day at our church and, and we'll have donuts and coffee and you gotta be saved to do a cleanup day at a church? No, bring them. Let them rub shoulders with other people who know Christ. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to... Fish for people. Now, what did they fish for? Fish. Now you're going to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and, and followed him. At once. They didn't get in a prayer huddle. They didn't pray and fast. They didn't say, Pastor, I'll call you in a couple of weeks and let you know if I have a yes or no answer. They said, no, you put me in, coach. You put me in, Jesus. I'm ready to go. And they left everything that they had. See, when God's rule and reign come, it changes everything. He changes our marriage. He changes our parenting. He changes our grandparenting. And Jesus is basically saying to them, you have a choice. The kingdoms of this world or, or the kingdom of God. You have a choice. By the way, we all have a choice. And then Jesus comes to them and makes a very, very, very personal plea and says, are you willing to come with me? Now, I started to think about myself if I put myself in this narrative, what would I have said? Now, I don't know if you would be like me. Maybe you have different questions you would have asked Jesus, but I would have wanted guarantees. Anybody else? If I'm leaving my family and my livelihood, if I'm leaving the trade that I know and I follow you, are you going to take care of my family? Jesus, if, if I leave everything I know about fishing for fish and have to fish for men, by the way, it doesn't say they asked him, what does it look like when you fish for men? Or that's a silly concept. Go and fish for men. No, we fish for fish. How do you get men in our nets? Too money. You put men in our nets, our nets are going to break. By the way, every time Jesus came on the disciples, uh, before they followed him, they're always mending their nets. They had defective nets, but that's a whole other sermon. Never said this, I'll follow you, Jesus, if you guarantee success. I'll follow you, Jesus. And so here's the big word, big word, if, if. So let's look at this little place here as a, as a place where God speaks to you and says, I want you to do this for me. And your response is, Lord, I will do it if 
if you promise success. So this, this, is, this is the obedient side. This is the question side. Will you? Well, this is the if platform. If you promise me, um, I'll go fish for people if you promise me my friends won't make fun of me or I won't lose family members if I give my life to you fully and I, and I overtly let people know that I'm a Christian. Uh, you've heard my story too many times, so I won't tell it again. But I lost a chunk of my family when I told them I now believe in Jesus as the Messiah because in Judaism, they're still waiting for the Messiah to come. My cousins I used to play. Anybody have cousins you, that you hung out with when you were growing up, cousins? Yeah, I used to hang out with my cousins. They were forbidden now to hang out with me. And once my mom and dad came to Christ, we were doomed. 50% of our family said, no more fellowship. Jesus, I'll follow you if you make sure my, my family will love me. I had no guarantees. I was so on fire for God when I gave my life to Jesus at Foursquare Camp Cedar Crest. I, was tell, I told everybody about Jesus. I started bringing a Bible to the school, and we would sit in the drum section in the orchestra, junior high orchestra. Boy, how bad we were. That poor band teacher. And he used to tell us we were good. I knew he was lying. And so when the drummers were waiting for their part, the band director would work with the woodwinds and the, and the, the, the string section. And we, shh, drummers, shh, be quiet in the back. No noodling, no playing. And we just sit there. But I brought my Bible. And I figured, like most books in school, I always went to the end. So I would read the book, come on, the book of Revelation to all my friends about creepy, crawly things coming out of the pit. And they were mesmerized by that. And it was so cool. And one day the, the, the teacher said, what are, you, what are you guys reading back there? I said, Revelation. He goes, oh, that's cool. And that's what we did. At lunchtime, I read the book of Revelation to all my 14 and 15-year-old, 16-year-old friends. And it was great. I know that book pretty well. What are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? Just a question. So I began to write this down in my notes, and maybe it will resonate with you. I'll follow you, Jesus, if I never have to let go of anything or anyone. Now, not you, probably first service or probably, you know, some Christian somewhere, but someone has said this before to the Lord. I just know it. I will follow you if I don't have to give anything or anyone up and think what the disciples had to give up. Leave your family, leave your nets, leave your livelihood, come and follow me. Is that radical? That's huge. And then Mark 1, verse 19 and 20, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, John, uh, James, excuse me, the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and all their hired staff and they followed him. Here we have the first four disciples, and nobody rebuts Jesus. And no one says what I would say, if you promise. No, 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 no. They got up and they did it. Now, this was counterculture for them. Why? Because Jesus was known as a rabbi, and no rabbi ever called anyone to themselves. 
if you lived back then, what you would do is you would say, um, Rabbi, would you mentor me? Would you teach me Torah and Talmud? Would you teach me the law of God? And so it was the pupil that sought out the rabbi, not the rabbi that sought out the pupil, but this rabbi called people unto himself. The second thing I want you to see is some, somebody has said this somewhere, I'm sure. And these guys could have said it. I'll follow you, Jesus, if I can live without your community. Every once in a while, I meet a person who says, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. That's kind of like saying, I play professional football in the NFL, I just don't have a team. I don't need the body of Christ. Sorry, read the New Testament. We need each other. The one another's of the New Testament cannot be done in a silo or in solo mode. We, 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 we need each other desperately. And Simon and Andrew respond to Jesus' call. And John doesn't say this. Um, excuse me, we, we were here first. We want to do this by ourselves. I mean, you know, I, I, I know what it's like to serve together with uh, James. But I don't know about this Simon and Andrew thing. How about just James and I do this together? Because after all, we, we, we're boat partners. No, I'm sorry. It's not you two and no more. And even it's not you four and no more because he's going to call 12, isn't he? And sometimes people say, just, I want my little group. How have I heard this? It's just our, we have a little group and we like our little group and we hang together because it's our little it's our little group, and someone else tries to get into the little group. And uh, Listen, we're better together, folks. We are so much better together. And someone can say, I don't want to do community because community is messy. And unless you go to a church of one, somebody's going to rub you the wrong way. And by the way, if Bernie Fetterman had a church of one, I'd rub myself the wrong way. Uh-huh. The minute you start adding people, you start adding dynamics, you start adding their history and their baggage, their likes and dislikes, their musical taste and their lack of musical taste, or, you know, how come we just can't have country worship all the time? Huh? Or how come, you know, you fill in the blank. Hey, God's called us together. And right in the middle of the word, well, actually kind of the end, of community is the word unity. And can I, can I stand over here? It's my pet peeve. I was going to call it my hobby horse, but hobby horses always go, go downhill. But, but one of my pet peeves is that even in the body of Christ, people can't get along. We have the Lord who has saved us and redeemed us and called us to be people who forgive each other and love each other. And there's all this and everybody on social media is a critic about something. We had a horrific shooting at 2 a.m. this morning in Sacramento. Did you see it on the news? Horrific. I happened to look at social media. That was a mistake. And people were arguing about the weapon used as being either fully automatic or semi-automatic. And my heart was grieving for the families who lost nine loved ones in a senseless shooting. And I looked at the thread. After the thread, I go, 
Now, you people don't know what a real, listen to the video. The video was a video that somebody took with their phone because everybody's got a camera now. And it was pop, 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 however the pop-pops were. And they were arguing whether the pop-pops were semi-automatic or fully automatic. Welcome to America. Here we are. Let's go after each other because we don't know the proper sound of guns. Rather than saying, God bless those families. God bless the investigators. God bless the first responders who have to go deal with nine dead bodies. Good morning. Hmm. And all the while, Jesus does something. This is on his journey before he ever gets to the cross, before we ever get to Good Friday. There's a recorded prayer. It's his longest prayer in all of Scripture. I'm going to read part of it. John 17, verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, verse 21, catch it. That all of them may be be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Do you ever want to look at Jesus and say, come on, Jesus, give us a break. When he says love one another, I say, yay. And then he says, as I have loved you, I say, boo. When he says, I want them to be one, we say, yes, unity in the community, unity in the church. And then he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Is that a tall order? May they get along just like we do. That's what he's saying. (sighs) You'll never hear the father say anything ill of his son. You're my beloved son, and you please me. You'll never hear the Holy Spirit if you ever hear his voice. He'll never put down God the Father or God the Son. I mean, the Trinity gets along so well. The Trinity is united. May they also be in us. Now, here's here's where I don't like the Bible. I just thought I should tell you I don't like this part. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. Doesn't say they're going to believe because we write great worship songs or we preach great sermons or we build nice buildings with crosses inside the stucco or we wear a cross necklace or we have a John 3.16 tattoo on our arm. No, nothing wrong with all that. It says the world will know that you sent me by their unity. And I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be, come on, one as we are, as we are one. Hmm. I in them and you in, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Does anybody want to groan over that? Because there's times that I know And I'm not living as united as I could be within the body of Christ. There's times that I know that I've got to, you know, raise my issues or my concerns or how come my needs aren't being met, right? But that's not what he says. He says, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, for people to really understand the heart of Jesus on the cross, 
the heart of the virgin birth that he was sent here, the heart that God came in flesh, it's based on how we are united. And I'm just going to tell you this. There's not a lot of unity in the body of Christ today. There's not a lot of unity outside the walls of this church. I mean, we're we, we, we pretty good. We love each other pretty, pretty well. And how we speak about each other and how we choose to love each other. And the unity doesn't mean we agree on everything. You might like Mexican food and somebody else likes Italian food. Somebody else likes Korean food. Somebody else likes Japanese food. Somebody else likes Chinese food. And somebody said, I thought all Asian food was the same. Mm. Anybody like fish in here? Anybody hate fish in here? Good. I stand. There's my, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I said hate and you went for it. Yep, I hate it. <laughs> and Jesus called these fishermen to come and fish for people. I tied it in somehow. I don't know how, but anyway. But here's what you do for unity. This is your assignment. New Testament assignment. You pray for it. You work for it. You fight for it. You pursue it. And if somebody speaks ill of somebody else in the body of Christ, you tell them, shh. Remember? Sheket bavakashah. In Hebrew means be quiet, please. I had somebody a few weeks ago wanted to talk ill about another pastor in town, and I said, excuse me, you got the wrong guy here. Yeah, but do you know about? Between us, I knew about, but I chose not to chime in because I figure I'm going to reap what I sow. So if I let them talk bad about that guy, then somebody's also going to talk bad about me, which happens all the time anyway. So I just thought, why don't I just not chime in? We could put Verizon out of business, T-Mobile out of business, AT&T out of business. If all we texted and called were things that glorified God. Just think about it. Oh, it's a juicy story. Thumbs, your thumbs are flying, baby. Unity, pray for it, work for it, fight for it, pursue it. I'm sorry, but that's what Jesus is praying. Years ago, I had a couple come to see me. They were on their way to divorce court. I'm serious. I begged him to come see me, and he said, only if she'll come. I called her, and she said, I want nothing to do with that blankety, blankety, blank. And so I told her, I'm sorry. Do do you like me? Oh, yeah, I think you're a great guy. Good. Would you come see me? Yes, I will, but not with him. I said, well, I don't counsel women, and if he doesn't come, you can't come. Really? I got to bring him? Yeah. yeah. And I'll just say her name is Susie. It's not Susie. Susie, I have a guilt complex. If I don't at least attempt to heal your marriage, then I won't be able to sleep. And if you guys go to divorce court and get a divorce, I'll feel like I wasn't effective as a pastor. So would you please come? Well, I'll come for you then. I said, yay, Lord, and I prayed my fool head off and contended for their marriage. By the way, they had young kids. And so they came. She sat on one end of the couch with her body language this this way, and he sat on the other end of the couch. And I thought, this is fun. 
I said, you guys love God? Yep, but we don't love each other. Is there anything salvageable here, I said. She said, no. He said, maybe. I said, does he do anything that you like? He thought about it for a moment. No answer. I said, does he ever cook? Yes. He said, yes. I said, um, what does he make? Scrambled eggs. I said, do you like the way he scrambles them? Well, actually, yes, they're very fluffy, and you put some cheese in there and some scallions because I like that too, and a splash of Tabasco, that's how I like my eggs. I thought, praise the Lord, something good. And that started to morph into, what do you like about her? Well, she does this thing with her eyes, and she looks at me, and then they, they sparkle, and I get goosebumps when she does that. When was the last time you looked in his eyes? I can't remember, and I don't want to. I said, would you, do the, would you do it for me, please? So she looked in his eyes, and the sparkle happened, and he said, there it is, the sparkle. I said, do you like the sparkle? Yes. I go, two positives. We can work with this. And I shared this verse with them. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You guys believe in the Bible? Yes, we do. How about this verse? Could this verse apply to your marriage? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with each other. You see, it takes one person to forgive. It takes two people to reconcile. Let me say it again. That's pretty profound. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two people to reconcile. And we must set ourselves as people of reconciliation. What does this have to do with Jesus on the way to the cross? Somebody might ask that. He's setting everything up for his followers. Come follow me. And then John 17, I want you to be united. And in John 17, 15, and 16, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Wouldn't that be cool? Jesus, get us out of here. Maybe you prayed that. But that you protect them from the evil one. He's praying in the context of unity and he's praying that God would protect us from the evil one because the evil one loves division. The evil one loves when people in churches, ah, he he sells tickets to all the demons to watch it. Let's look at this. They're having a fight. It's so good. He loves to fragment the church. That's what the devil does. He thrives on creating division. But Jesus said, I will build my church. He's committed to building it. He's committed to building you. Division is when you're fighting against people. Unity is when you're fighting for people. Let me say it again. Division is when you're fighting against people. Unity is when you're fighting for people. Let me just ask you a question here. Who are you fighting for? Who are you defending? Who are you blessing? Who are you speaking words of grace and mercy to? And the third thing is, maybe you've never thought this, but I'll follow you, Jesus, if I can do without fishing for people. After all, I want to keep my faith private. (laughs) It was never meant to be private. Your faith is meant to be personal, but never meant to be private. God saved you not just so you could be saved. God saved you so you could save others. 
And how are you going to do it? Well, you're going to love people. And at some point, you're going to have a conversation with them about your faith. Why? Because Matthew 28, 18 says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, call pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers, pastors, to go and, no, you're supposed to say, no, pastor, you're wrong. That's not what it says. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. That's our assignment. Every follower of Christ has to fish for people, men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, come on, let's bring them in. And it's going to be done in a way that they want to be baptized. And we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, side note, Easter's coming. Who are you going to invite? Let's fish together. We'll love them. Saturday night, we'll have free candy for everybody. Sunday, we'll have the more than, more than continental breakfast. Free food. Come on. Easter egg hunts for the kids in the morning, both at 9 and 11. Come on. Bring your friends. Tell them you'll take them to breakfast and bring them out in front. Won't cost you a thing. It could bring them to eternal life, however. As we talk about Jesus and as we, we worship and as we pray like crazy, God, everybody that walks on this campus, may they sense your presence and your power and your grace. Hey, can I remind you that we often see fishing as an individual sport? Somebody with a pole off the edge of a boat, maybe there's a group of people, or somebody on the bank of Lake Kachuma, not much water there these days, but fishing, or somebody in a kayak throwing their rod out there. And we, we see it that way. We're in a stream, fly fishing, we see it that way. But this was a group of people that threw nets together, sometimes multiple boats holding nets together and putting them in the water and pulling those nets in. We see them in the boat with their dad. We also see them with hired hands. So it was a group activity. Can I remind you that fishing for people is a group activity? And sometimes people get saved after somebody plants, somebody waters, and God gives the increase. And I've heard of people coming to Christ after 11 or 12 presentations of the gospel into their life from 11 or 12 different sources. God uses all of us. And if you try to separate God's mission from God's community, you lose both. So Jesus, at the end of Mark 1, he's teaching. And verse 22 says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had what? Authority, not as the teachers of the law. Different kind of rabbi here. After all, he's God. And just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Listen what the demon-possessed man says. I know who you are, holy one of God. And all the listeners are going, wow. And then Jesus says, shh, be quiet. I love that. Almost like to the storm, peace be still. I have authority over you. And Jesus sternly spoke, be quiet, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all amazed because the news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. 
How did he teach? With authority. And he shows us that he doesn't only have power over spirits, but later on as he, as he heals a sick person, he shows us he has authority over our physical beings. Later on when he turns water into wine, he shows us he has power and authority over all things, whether living or even water itself. I'd like to ask you this question. Where's Jesus calling you today? Where's he been calling you? What do you keep hearing from him? What do you keep hearing in, in messages that Pastor John and I are bringing you? It's not the same question over and over again. That, 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 I keep hearing that repeated over and over. That's not us. That's the Lord speaking to you. Where do you need to go and foster some unity right now with some people in your life? Remember, forgiveness, you can do that by yourself. But reconciliation takes two people. Where do you need to go reconcile? And where do you need to start fishing for people? It's great that you have your faith, but where do you need to share your faith with someone else? And lastly, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, here's what he's saying. Come and follow me. So Jesus, we give you our lives. We give you our hearts. Jesus, forgive us where we've caused division or dissension or disunity. Forgive us when you called us to love someone and we look the other way. We, for some reason, we're gripped more by fear or what they think of us than actually loving them. Forgive us when we've said, if, Lord, I will follow you, if, if. But Lord, often your calling doesn't tell us where we're going or what's next, but you just promise to be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. And, and, and we're reminded today that your calling is your enabling you guide, you provide. Use us, God, for your glory. Use this church as a unifying force to let the world know that Jesus came. God, use us as light in this dark world. Use us as salt in this tasteless, tasteless world. And may the things that we do and say give you glory. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.